0: You're listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Welcome, morning, everyone. For those of you who weren't here last week, I just want to say Happy New Year to you. It's wonderful to see you. And we're in a new series um, that we're going to be doing before we launch uh, the three services called Wired for worship. And last week, we basically laid the foundation. I encourage you to listen to last week's talk about uh, what worship is, that every single human person on planet Earth is a worshiper. Uh, and if you think about it, worship is about value. Whatever you value is what you will worship. Worship is our response to what we value most. And you can follow the trail of that. You can spot that through our affections, the way we spend our our time, our money, our our focus, uh, our actions, and inevitably it will point towards something or someone, and that is what we worship. Um, Augustine of Hippo, I've I've always loved this, perhaps the greatest theologian of the Western Church, and in one of his works, Confessions, uh, he wrote this, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless till it finds its rest in you. All of humanity is restless till it finds its rest in Christ. What we do, the privilege that we have as followers of Jesus every single day in our communities, we get to invite people to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he will satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. And so, worship actually, if you think about it, is our highest priority. It's our highest priority and goal. And if we commit to this in 2024, and I did an analogy of if you do your top button up right with worship, then everything else will flow from that. And a central text on worship is Romans uh, 12, first couple of verses. It says this Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let's just pause there. So, worship is always a response to the beauty and the mercy and the character of God. So, in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So, our response isn't just what we did. I'm going to be talking about it this morning. It's beautiful singing together as a church. That's only a small part of it. Worship, our response is our whole lives. Our whole lives. It's what we do when we leave church on a Sunday. Our whole lives. And he says, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So the result of true worship is body and mind transformation. The whole of life is transformed. Then, and only then, you'll be able to test and approve God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, again, if we worship God and humanity has been intended for that, for Him, then actually our will and our purpose for our life will come into fruition. There's a pastor down in London, uh, a church called Saint Church, it's called Al Gordon. And uh, he, he states this, if we've grown up in the Western world, we will by default embrace three worldviews, three paradigms. First of all, materialism, what we see and what we touch. Secondly, scarcity, finite resources, and skepticism, unbelief, and apathy. Okay, so that's the bad news. Okay, So even as we came in here to church this morning, those three things, as we live in the secular world, and we've been discipled by the scripts of this world that those th- three things will be knocking at our door at all times. But when we renew our minds, as that text says, through worship, three new paradigms come into existence. Three new worldviews, three new postures as a spiritual paradigm, it's a heavenly reality. We're not contained by the things and the systems and the values of this world. But in terms of another kingdom, just this, we have a whole bunch of prayer meetings throughout the week, but uh, our our main central prayer gathering here in the cafe on a Monday, 7.30, we had so many people this week, which just, it's reflective of the hunger that's in this church, which is wonderful. And you know what, as we are just having fellowship and relating to one another as we pray, it's amazing. You're just in a place where, you just want to ask God for anything. It's like nothing's off the table. You just come into a place like, yeah, I'm now seeing things. I'm throwing off the the things of this world and I'm now seeing with a whole new paradigm perspective that all things are possible. That's what leads to a second paradigm, limitless generosity. You understand how good and generous God is. I was just talking to someone earlier about, I, I, I often think about my my. My father's um, one of my greatest inspirations in my life. And I look at him as um, such a model of Christ-likeness. And I think how generous he is and how wonderful he is. That I want to imitate him and follow in his footsteps. But that is nothing compared to our Heavenly Father. If I think that's good and he's generous, imagine what God is like it's how beautiful he is and thirdly it releases faith possibility expectation we start to do life with this sense that hey the miraculous can happen i love that new song we sang this morning about miracles the miraculous can happen because of our paradigm shift it's not about what we see with our eyes it's not about what we hear it's not what we touch but actually it's a whole another world it's like a sixth sense called Faith. And so we need to swap our how much less for Jesus' how much more. There's nothing fair or equal about this deal. We we swap what is the less of life, and we get so much more. The Holy Spirit being poured out like torrential rain, not like a dripping tap that's broken torrential rain being poured out on the wilderness of our hearts and our society he's so generous it's always about the more when it comes to god and so this is the invitation now as i said last week with invitation always comes confrontation the moment you're invited in to step into the story of god and the more you will be confronted and the war is against idolatry idolatry wars against our worship so early in Romans actually Romans 1 you see when we don't worship the creator we worship created things essentially good things become God things good things that God has given to us in simplicity as a gift for us to enjoy we begin to bow down and worship these things Let me read a few verses in Romans 1. They're so powerful. For although they knew God, starting in verse 21, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual Impurity, for the degrading of their bodies one another. Notice what you worship affects, again, Romans 12, our bodies. And they exchanged. this is a poor exchange, the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. They stopped bowing down to the one true God and began to worship created things. Romans 1, this framework is where we end up in idolatry. is from a place of godlessness whereby God is not at the center, but we are. Essentially, that's what idolatry is. It's where it's, it's, where it's kind of the sovereignty of self. It's where my desires is the organizing principle in my life. I become the central theme of my life instead of God. And in that, we become self-reliant. We become defiant. We often become entitled. And the accumulation of pleasure is now our goal. In order to satisfy ourselves, accumulation of pleasure is now our priority. And this is what we're seeing in the scripts of our world right now if it feels good to you then it must be true and do it and the Bible and God's economy and how how to do life and life well with wisdom is completely contrary to that idea and that thinking and so it goes without saying when we talk about worship we're talking about our whole lives but I just want to pause this week and uh, Joni and I are going to be looking at this next week in terms of our worship here at church on a Sunday as we're gathered. And, um, and as we do church in our, in our service, of course, we, we worship, which includes our, our singing, our mouths, our, our posture, our bodies, uh, listening to God's word, praying for one another, communion, um, for at least once a week we have this tremendous privilege and opportunity where we get to gather together and fix our attention and focus on him and him alone. And I I think this is really important to say to us, especially with us going to three services in a few weeks, especially uh, in the morning with those two services, is that we, we need to move past this idea of getting warmed up in worship. And I think we need the church as a whole needs some kind of paradigm shift. We need to come to a point that when the clock hits nine thirty, when the clock hits eleven fifteen, when the clock hits six PM, we are in a place where we're ready to meet the King of Kings. For too long the charismatic church waits till their favourite song, three or four songs in, before they get excited about Jesus. And we need to get excited about Jesus before we come in so that we're ready to worship him. We're ready to meet the majesty, especially as our services are going to be a little bit shorter. You'll you'll miss it like that. And so this is one of the reasons why I wanted to speak into this. It's a bit of a challenge for us. And, you know, when I was a, a teenager, I was part of a A church as a denomination was more on the conservative uh, end of the spectrum. And I remember going to a a Tuesday evening talk uh, by a pastor from Whitby. And um, it was all about reverence in worship. And it was all about how we're to actually physically place ourselves when we're singing songs to God. And so they talked about, you must have your hands by your side... Because the Bible says you're only supposed to lift up holy hands. And of course, our hands aren't holy. What have we been up to that week was the perspective. And then you're to tilt your head ever so slightly, almost like you're looking at Jesus. And uh, I'm not quite sure where the hymn book went at that point because I didn't have PowerPoint. And, And so this was what we were taught. And we can kind of... Gently mock about those things, but actually, I think we're in danger of going at the other end of the spectrum. I think we're in danger of being so blase, so informal, so horizontal, going through the motions that we've forgotten about what worship is actually all about. How beautiful it is, how powerful it is, how precious it is. And, 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 This is what we're going to remind ourselves is that worship, maybe this is new to you, worship is not about us. It's about Him. Worship wasn't for us. It is about Him. So it's not about how we feel. It's not about our comfort. The challenge is is that When we come to the three services, will we be in a place where we're ready to meet the King of Kings straight away? And But I understand that. My wife and I, we have four children. Sometimes it's a battle just to get to church. Who's with me on that? And um, I said to someone this morning, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm glad you made it. And so we're never, ever, ever going to be that kind of church family that judges people because they came late to church. Imagine going to like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and you turn up 10 minutes late and you get scolded. Actually, in those meetings, they all stand up and they embrace and they just say, we're glad you came. They know, but we don't know the battles that are going on in our lives, particularly on a Sunday morning where it's sometimes like war. Trying to get the kids out of the house. And so we understand that. And do you know what? My, my value, we're a home, we're a family. It's always, good. we're just glad you made it. You're a trophy of grace. You're a hero. The fact that you went through what you went through and still got to church is a miracle in itself. And we need to redefine what victorious living looks like in terms of discipleship in the Christian faith. And for me, that's a victory. But the reality is for the vast majority of us, is that sometimes we're just maybe too blasé. And if I was to tell you, and and if you're a a Republican, this analogy is not going to work for you, but if I was to tell you the next week King Charles was going to be the whole vineyard church at at 9 a.m., we would all be here a lot earlier to meet him. That's the reality. Put someone else in. If it's not King Charles, put someone else. Ronaldo, Messi, whatever, We have an appointment to worship God. And so it changes the way we approach things. Even this morning, I'm thinking last night, we're, we're in the middle of a very, very exciting Netflix series. It's 10 past 10. And I'm like, oh, I need to watch the next episode. Has anyone been there or is it just me? Uh, yeah. Thank you. It's a safe place. We could be honest. It's church. And I said to Joni, because Joni was like, come on, one more episode. And I said, no, Joni. <laughs> where are you on your sanctification journey? <laughs> we need to go to bed. Because it's little things like that. It's about choices. Are we going to wake up late? Are we going to wake up in a bad mood? Are we going to have arguments? And then in an hour's service, you're just not present. But actually, to think through about those private moments and choices of worship when no one's looking actually complements when we gather as a whole, as a church. Sundays when we gather like this and Hebrews commands us to do so is the place essentially of reorientation. What we do right now is is a refocus. It's a reordering. It's a redirecting of our affection and our hearts. We've stepped out of a secular world for six days. And now we come to a place of entering the sacred moment of worship with God. And we have an opportunity to fix our time, our attention, our focus, our will our bodies, our voices together for the one who deserves it all. This, this morning, is where we get reminded of the great story that we're in. It's easy to forget with all the stories, the multiple stories and voices and noise and distraction and dilution of our faith throughout the week. This is the opportunity to be reminded of the great story that we're in, the story of the king and expansion of the kingdom of God in the nations. So I wonder what some of your post-church chat is as you leave here on a Sunday. Maybe that was an uplifting time the Lord drew near to us. The worship was awesome today. God was moving powerfully. What is the most memorable engaging worship experience of your life i know there's been many times here on a sunday moments where you just can't stop crying you dare move for the sense of the presence of god you can barely speak because of the weightiness of his glory where we're overwhelmed by him and so let me ask you what is the most engaging worship experience of your life But I actually think that too much of that conversation is attached too much to the activity of the people rather than the activity of God. A lot of that conversation may be reflective of what's going on in our life. We may talk about that was exciting music or she's an engaging speaker. But when I use the word engaging, I'm not referring to man's ability, but to God's activity. let me ask you a question. When, when you come here on a Sunday, do you expect anything out of the ordinary to take place? Or are we just going through the motions? Are you expecting to meet God? Are you anticipating that God will engage with you in a powerful way? I think there's a, a beautiful for, kind of foreshadowing text in the Old Testament, Leviticus 9, which helps us think through this. I'm not going to read Leviticus 9. I encourage you to do that when you're home, but It lives in the expectation that God will appear as we worship. It says in verse 4 of Leviticus 9, for today the Lord will appear to you. And then in verse 23, we read that the glory of the Lord did appear to the people. And how did they get to that place where the glory of God appeared to the people? Well, preparation for worship is important for the engagement of God's presence. So in Leviticus 9, the preparations you see in the preceding chapters were extensive. The the tabernacle had to be built to specific instructions. The people had set apart Aaron and his sons as priests according to God's command. And and they had this consecration ceremony for the priests that lasted seven days. We complain about an hour. Seven days the question is, just for us, is how do we best prepare ourselves for worship? Maybe we prepare for worship by, like I say, staying up late on a Saturday night watching films or waking up Sunday morning and focusing on checking emails and doing the laundry and then arguing on the way to church about whose fault it is that we're late. And we sit in the service and maybe drifting off during the talk because we're tired from the late night, or we're distracted from all that is going on. And then it's interesting, and I include myself here, is we might leave this gathered environment and say this, I didn't really get much out of church today. I didn't really get much out of church today. And it doesn't maybe occur to us that we weren't actually ready or prepared in our hearts to meet with the living God. Can I encourage you, as we enter into this new season, to spend some time in preparation for worship? Rather than think that the service will start at 9.30, maybe start to adopt a habit where it starts at 9.20. To maybe get your kids checked in, come in here, and just sit and pray and prepare yourself to meet with God rather than just rushing in at the last minute. There are three things I have found that I need to guard against in terms of being distracted when engaging with God. And I must confess, as, a, as, a, as the pastor of this church, publicly, this is stuff that I wrestle with. This is stuff that I struggle with. First of all, a self-centered I, Often the distraction can be this, what are people thinking about me? I remember when I was about seven, eight years of, old, years of age and we were in an Anglican church then and we, we sang those old vineyard classics, Jesus Holy and Anointed One, Purify My Heart. I remember all the youth would be there and all I wanted to do was just lift my hands in worship. It's all I wanted to do, but I was too scared about what other people would think about me. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I kind of had my left hand like this away from the row, just elevated slightly, so they couldn't see. I was working through my own stuff, even at a young age. You work through peer pressure, and you work through wanting to be accepted, and that gets projected onto the rest of our lives and the trajectory of our lives. What are people thinking about me? As we worship, we're focused on ourselves rather than him. This is a big one for me, a critical eye. I so want this church, the environment, the culture of this church to be at a point where there's no distraction There's no barrier to, if somebody comes to church for the first time and they don't know Jesus, I never want them to leave it and go, do you know what, that's put me off Jesus for the rest of my life. So I care about the aesthetics. I care about the sound. I care about language. I care about all these things because I never want... The message will always remain the same, but the models and the methods have to change. They have to adapt for the 21st century. I never want what we do here to be a barrier to people discovering the attractiveness of Jesus Christ. But sometimes I found in my heart, it can slip into being critical. And being critical can lead to anger in your heart. And you've now gone from maybe a pure motivation to now Something that is welcoming the enemy into your heart. You've now gone from the worship of Jesus to idolatry. You've made it about yourself and you've made it about people. So critical eye. We need to be guarded from that. What What was the speaker going on about today? What about this? What about that? And then the wondering eye. There'll be some changes when we come to our three services and we've got to guard against a wondering eye. Why have you changed this? Why have you put the seat there? Why have you moved the sound desk? Why does that look different? We've got a new colored door. Did anyone know it's that? No, because you don't have wondering eyes. You you've been <laughs> enthralled and thrilled by the presence of Jesus. You've not but I've struggled this morning. I've just looked at that beautiful door thinking. It's amazing. And can we thank Eddie and Malley here? That you guys, you guys are amazing. Anyway, I've gone off track here with my wondering eye. And so I want to encourage you to guard against those three things and to be in a place of worship. Celebration is important in the engagement of God's presence. Celebration. And so I also want to encourage you is to think about our posture when it comes to worship. Uh, There's no doubt about it. They call it worship wars in the church. Christians love to debate about so many things, but I think worship is one of the big things. And um, should worship be more celebrative, more meditative, more expressive, more subdued? My encouragement is this, why can't it be both? You know, if you've ever watched your favorite, say, sports team, scoring a goal, whatever, we, we celebrate, don't we? You might put your hand in the air and, and you celebrate, but at the same time, if and when we go to a funeral and the coffin walks by, we... We bow our heads and we're subdued and we're silent as a point of respect. The reality is, is we're able to do both. But our focus should not be that worship is an expression of my mood, but it should be an experience of God's might and majesty. The focus should not be about my personality and my character. It should always be a response to the character of God. And that's where we suddenly made worship about us rather than him. You know, these services take a lot of planning. The songs, the hymns are chosen with specific purposes in mind. The band here practiced in the week, have thought and prayed a lot about the songs and the arrangements, the melodies, the various things in preparation to lead us in to worship. Those who lead the service think about these things. The person communicating God's word labors so that the mind can be instructed and the heart captivated by the truth. Planning, preparing for God's presence, but no one can plan for what God will do. And we always want to be a church that we want to be super prepared, but we also want to be interrupted because this is God's church. This is his service. He is the pastor of this church, and he can do what he wants. And I love it. No one can plan for what God will do. In the final song, he's gonna visit that person with salvation. In that sermon, he's gonna visit that person with some comfort and encouragement. In the prayer ministry, he's gonna convict someone about bitterness. It's a time of celebration. Why? Because the Lord is moving and working among us, to different people about different things that only the Holy Spirit can know about. And so a lot of people think that a great time of worship is defined by great music, but there was no music here in Leviticus 9. No music. God was present, and that was enough. And when God's in the building, that's all we need. And he is our heart's desire so engaging and enjoying God in worship is about God's presence not man's. So as I close as we think about preparing our hearts to engage in worship as we gather in these three services to come mindful of what we're doing, the power of what we're doing, who we are meeting in worship. I want to encourage you all to respond in the way God leads you to respond in worship. In our gathered environments, if if you feel led to jump up and down, you should jump up and down. If you feel led to get on your knees, you should do that. If you feel led to just sit down in your chair, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you should do that. If you want to lift your hands, you should do that. I only have one rule, and it's this. As long as it's not drawing attention to you, but all the attentions to God, is good for me. Because so often, particularly in the charismatic church, people make it about them. It's about creating a scene where it's about them and it's distracting to people. But we want this to be a safe place. We want this to be a place where people are not distracted by other things, but they can just come. And in their place of grief and suffering or joy or whatever life's throwing at you is that they can have a one-to-one with God. And it's made all the more precious and all the more beautiful because we're doing it all together. And we now, the church, Paul's letter to the Corinthians says, is we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't go to a tabernacle that's been prepared to meet with the holy God. Is that we can boldly enter into the throne of grace and approach him because of the blood of Christ. The veil has been torn, and we can just go for it from 920 and five past eleven and ten to six we can prepare to meet with him because of what Christ has done. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.